Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan, and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure you check out the show notes for more details and information on today's topic. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. We are back with another episode of Nobody Told Me That. And oh my goodness, I have a longtime friend. Kim McGuire is here from Fortune. How are you? I'm terrific, Teresa. Thank you for having me on your awesome podcast. <laughs> Thank you. And I was just on yours. So, you know, if, if people are like loving what we talk about today, they can always wander over to the Fortune podcast and listen um, to me talk about or rant about or, you know, things. Exactly. <laughs> my audience is used to me. <laughs> For sure. It's always a pleasure to have you on our podcast and exchange ideas. Love it. Well, and what we were talking about in the pregame show is super exciting because we have a lot of pain points out there. And one of the biggest pain points that I've been hearing recently is hygiene, hygiene, hygiene. Like, you know, the old Brady Bunch, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. All I hear is hygiene, hygiene, hygiene. And, and of course it is when I'm hearing it from everybody, I know that all my fellow coaches are hearing it even more and having to come up with all of the, all of the solutions because you guys yeah. are in the, the, the dregs of it. Right. So tell me, tell me, how big of an issue that this has been for your clients and what's going on with this whole hygiene issue? Yeah. So Teresa, as you know, we have fortune, we have about 120 fortune coaches across the country and we are seeing this in every market. I think, and I'm sort of channeling my hygiene mastery partners um, because they're really the experts on this. However, we know that before the pandemic, we were already having a shortage of hygienists. We just were not, we're not graduating enough hygienists even before then um, compared to how many dentists I think that are being, that are graduating and just truly how many patients we have out there. I think that the good news is in the dental industry that more patients are getting care. And then the challenge for us as dental professionals is how do we care for all of them, right? So um, I think it was in the past 50% of the population didn't go to the dentist and now it's more like 40% don't go or I don't know the exact. Oh no, we're closing the gap. It's great. Yeah, We're closing the gap, which is a good news conversation. And then what happened with the pandemic is, well, we all kind of know what happened. Uh, and, and specifically with hygienists, some of them retired, some of them decided to retire. Some of them um, had needed to stay home with their kiddos. Some of them decided to take different jobs. There's just d- different things happen. So now we're still dealing with, we still are at a shortage and we're at even more of a shortage. And then we're not graduating enough students as we need to. So what we are talking to our doctors always about is let's think outside the box. I know that's an overused term, but we really do need to be thinking about how can we still serve our patients? And, um, and, and of course, utilize our amazing hygienists for the skill set that they have. So one of the things that we're doing in a lot of our practices, even higher end practices, is we're helping them incorporate assisted hygiene. And notice I did not say accelerated hygiene. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about utilizing an amazing assistant. So what this would look like is um, 
We would get an assistant. It could be, we do want somebody with some experience so that they can speak to the patients. But really, when you look at what a dentist does, the dentist does what they are trained to do and only what they can do. And we use our auxiliaries for so much else. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we use that same thinking in the hygiene program where the hygienists are doing scaling and of course, what they can do um, with, with perio patients, et cetera. There's so much else though that a hygienist does that maybe we can train an amazing assistant to help with that. So health history mm-hmm. update, taking x-rays, maybe even doing some polishing, um, scheduling their next recare appointment, maybe even being there when the doctor's doing the exam, taking intraoral photos, things like that. Well, I remember in the past, we would talk about assisted hygiene and it was really the assistant would come in, polish if needed, maybe not even that, but just dismiss the patient, the fluoride, like they, it was not an educational position. It was a batting cleanup position, right? So now you're talking about finding an assistant that has the verbal skills and social skills and clinical skills to have these conversations. So it's not necessarily a whole, this is treatment plan presentation stuff, but just reinforcing oral hygiene. So what, I mean, what does that look like before the hygienist comes in and after the hygienist is done? Can we walk through that? Sure. So what this could look like is the assistant is seeing the patient first and bringing them into the operatory. If the patient needs x-rays, they can be doing x-rays. They can be doing the health history update. They can be taking intraoral photos, um, really doing a lot of what the hygienist would do maybe her first 15 to 20 minutes of the appointment. And then the hygienist would come in and do you know more of their their perio exam and what what they what they're specialized in doing and of course doing the hand scaling. Now sometimes that hygienist would finish out that appointment if they didn't have another patient that they were seeing to do polishing and fluoride and pre reappointing that patient, or if they did have another patient to see, the assistant would come back in and finish up the appointment and dismiss them. And yes, they need to have wonderful language skills, you know, great communication skills, great rapport skills. They need to be able to hand the patient off to the hygienist and vice versa. Sometimes the doctor is doing the exam when the hygienist is there. And sometimes the doctor is doing the exam when the assistant is there. The bottom line is everyone needs to be totally patient-centered and know what that patient needs in that hour appointment. And When the team is really working together, it's actually a beautiful thing. The patients, the feedback that we're getting from the patients is, wow, I got like a two for one special. I got two (laughs) people helping me instead of just one kind of a thing (laughs) because they're made to feel so special and they're made to feel um, so taken care of. So even in our higher end, more fee-for-service practices, this is working out quite well because I think what people have in their mind is assisted hygiene or, or accelerated hygiene would be like kind of a mill, like every 30 minutes you're seeing another patient. Oh yeah. That's definitely the, the thought out there. The thought. Mm-hmm. And this is, that's not, that's, that's one way of doing this. This is a different way. And what the hygienists are finding is that they're having to maybe not do some of the things that they don't love doing. Right. Right. So, right. And the other thing about in Teresa, you know, fortune, we are all about Leaders leading leaders. So that's one of our mantras that we talk about. So the hygienist really gets to be a great leader to that dental assistant Mm -hmm. and really elevate their profession and elevate the importance of having them there. Because we know now it's costing us more 
to have some of our hygienists, our hygiene wages have gone up in different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. They're higher than others. And we also know from my conversation with you that sometimes our PPO reimbursements are going down. So we need to get creative as business people and say, how do we serve all of our patients and still have hygiene be profitable and not a loss leader? Because it is just the lifeblood of the practice. You know, it is. It's interesting you say loss leader, because I, I can't count how many times I've heard that from dentists saying, I, you know, our hygiene department's our loss leader. It's not. It's your revenue driver. That's what it is, because Absolutely. you're diagnosing out of there and keeping your restoration full. But what's what's funny is when you hear things like loss leader, it really diminishes the importance of the the department. And I hear this about the front office team, you know, oh, it's a it's a cost we have to bear. No, the your good admin is going to save you money, is going to help you be more profitable. And this whole profit margin that's shrinking, Kim, oh my gosh. I'm so nervous for these dentists because their profit margins are really shrinking. And that's not that doesn't mean that they can't just afford a new car. That that means nobody gets raises. There's no improvements in the office. Right. It's a totally different mindset when you're the owner and you're like sweating bullets because you wonder if you're going to be able to keep your team. That's one of the biggest issues I'm hearing from new doctors is I can't compete because I don't have the money to compete yes. on salary. And they're so scared they're going to lose their people. So the other thing, I, well, that is very, very true. Our profit margins sometimes are shifting. I think that it's also about, again, if we have a doctor that is seeing themselves as a CEO, we want to have that CEO mindset and taking a look at making smart decisions for my business. So the other thing that we're seeing, and sometimes this is cringeworthy for some people, we are seeing associate doctors that have just graduated from dental school coming in and doing some hygiene Um, And that would absolutely be an assisted hygiene sort of situation because an associate doctor is probably not going to be taking x-rays, et cetera. So Mm -hmm. what's neat is that an associate doctor can come in and sometimes, quite frankly, what the hygienists are asking to be paid is exactly what a day rate would be for a doctor. (laughs) Absolutely. Right. And so maybe a doctor would come in and love to work in your private practice, Mm -hmm. maybe not have to go and work for a DSO where you've if you've got a lot of technology and a great team culture and you want to mentor someone that eventually could probably do some same day, maybe simple occlusal fillings and maybe eventually be a a second true doctor in your practice. What a beautiful way to bring them in. Now, I know some of our hygienists are listening, saying doctors are not great hygienists and (laughs) you appreciate that. However, it goes back to we have a challenge of we've got too many patients with how many practitioners we have, so we've got to get creative on it. So I think it's thinking outside the box. This is also when we're talking about doing assisted hygiene, it's also about how big our facilities are. We do need to have more operatories if we are going to be expanding just how we're doing that particular department, which going back to what you were saying We absolutely believe that hygiene is the lifeblood of the dental practice. We've got to keep those patients in that hygiene program to then, of course, fill up our restorative, our restorative columns as well. So the, the whole concept of an associate dentist doing hygiene, I actually really love it. And I know I'm not popular with that. And my hygiene friends, you guys know I love you, it, but there really is a drain. Um, there's not enough of you around. If I could yes. clone you, then That's you know, then you would that. have issues with me. But I can't clone you. Here's here's what I really love about that model, and this is from me helping offices onboard associates, me onboarding associates. You know, you you I know you have way more experience with this, so you probably are going to know exactly where I'm going. But 
part of the hard the hard conversations with new associates is that they need to have more chair time and chair time is expensive. And so, but they get faster. That's how they get faster. Right. So sometimes it's just the muscle memory of seating a patient, greeting a patient, you know, getting the rhythm of the day down. And if that's being done on hygiene and you're meeting people and you're impressing them and you're building relationships, I just don't see how it's a losing situation. I'd rather have that than an associate sitting in an office going, where's my next patient? Absolutely. And yes, I so agree with everything that you're saying. I think that, and what you said, a very important word, you said relationships. I don't know, you know, if your listeners are more transactional based, I'm going to, I'm going to imagine that if they're listening to this podcast, they are building a relationship based practice. So we want our associates to be successful. They must build relationships with their patients and what better use of doing what, you know, um, being with a patient for 50 or 55 minutes and, you know, really developing that relationship with them and then filling up their schedule. We have some of our top practices all across the country, some very, very high-end cosmetic practices where those doctors say that the associates must do hygiene for six months to build their patient base and really get to know those patients. And then of course that builds their restorative. And yes, we need them to be doing something. And so um, help having them do. And, and the other thing I'm, I'm seeing also is maybe it's not a full day of hygiene. Maybe it's a morning or an afternoon of hygiene sure. and then filling up the other part of the day with restorative, because I do also know that doctors will get into a rhythm. So if they're doing profies and scaling all in one chunk of time, like a three or four hour chunk of time, they get a little bit better. It's that repetition. And then absolutely switching from a restorative patient to a hygiene patient can be a little bit more challenging and also for the assistants as well. Well, and I mean, dentists don't like to hear this, but I'm, I try to be very frank with them when they get out of dental school their diagnosing skills are still baby skills. I mean, they're still starting out. They're going to be nervous. They're going to second guess every spot because they just haven't seen enough of them. So when you have them doing hygiene, to me, that just accelerates the curve. And I can understand why your doctors require that. I think it's very smart, actually. I think it helps with mentoring. I think it just... It helps all around, but I do understand spending $300,000 for student loans and then coming out and doing hygiene is a little bit different than what you expect. So I get it. I get it all around. (laughs) Well, and the other thing is that, you know, you also just said it, mentoring, the owner doctor, the senior doctor must be a great mentor to that younger doctor. That's where I see sometimes associateships failing because the owner doctor is frustrated that the the associate is not producing enough. Mm-hmm. However, we need to make sure that we're mentoring them. Um, I would also say that, you know, if they do a scratch start, if any doctor does a scratch start, they're going to be doing hygiene anyways, because they usually can't afford a hygienist for maybe six or nine months. And they've gone a full round of seeing their, you know, seeing a full six months of patients. So, so it, it's almost like the same situation. If you were to do a startup, you'd be doing hygiene. If you're coming into Dr. Smith's practice, you're going to do hygiene and really building your business. Absolutely. So, so I think I think it's a winning proposition. Now, there's a there's a new theory on the market, and I really don't know how I feel about it. You know, because I can see both sides. That's the problem with me, honestly, is that I can see both sides. So maybe maybe you have a good opinion on this. I'm talking about the the sacred cow thought is that we have to pre-appoint every appointment. So 
hygiene is over and next, the last step is always, let's get that next appointment on the books. But so now we're looking, I was just sharing with you that a class I was in, they're, they're booking into February um, and we're in May. So this is, this is extreme and not, not just booking the popular times, like they're fully booked. (laughs) So, so by pre-appointing, are we taking away these precious blocks for new patients coming in or anything like that? How do, you know, and and so that's what I've been hearing is stop pre-appointing. And part of me is like, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, maybe. And then I'm like, but wait, (laughs) what happens if we have a, you know, maybe a recession, maybe we have a downturn, maybe something happens. And like, now my schedule's falling apart and all those people that were easy schedules are now not in my schedule. So um, I go back and forth. Do you have any like hard thoughts about this or, are you, or yeah. is it something you're considering? I think it, we, I think we need to do both. Like you said, we need to, I still think we need to pre-appoint uh, and I think we need to have those new patient blocks in our schedule to bring in new patients as well. So it's sort of a, it's a, it's a both, it's a yes. <laughs> um, here's where I would be concerned if we stopped pre-appointing. The amount of manpower and emails and texting and et cetera that we have to do to then get them back on the schedule uh-huh. is huge. So you would then be losing money in that department in order to, if you, if you weren't pre-appointing. I also think that everybody listening to this podcast has had an experience where a patient comes in and they haven't seen you in 18 months or 24 months and they can't believe it's been that long. They have no idea, right? Because patients don't realize it. Right. So we need to always be pre-appointing. Absolutely. It goes back to the conversation though. How do we expand our offerings and getting creative with what we're maybe, so maybe we are adding a couple more patients a day to our hygiene schedule and doing a modified, you know, assisted hygiene, like we just talked about. Maybe we are opening up an evening or a morning or God forbid, a Friday or even a Saturday. I mean, how are we expanding our hours and utilizing our facility um, to its fullest? I mean, you're probably paying rent or maybe you're paying yourself rent if you own the facility. Sure. And if you're only seeing patients 32 hours a week, that's kind of old school, right? So we be thinking about, well, how else can I expand? And owner doctors, that doesn't mean you have to work every Friday or Saturday. That could be an associate working those days or whatever that might be. It just, the point is get creative on it. Yeah. Well, and I know some doctors that will do Saturday hours and they just do nothing but admin time because they have to catch up. Right. So they'll do that and just do hygiene checks throughout the day. But I'm not sure if you heard that, um, that audible gasp from our audience when you said, Oh, you have to work Saturdays. (laughs) (laughs) Cause that that was always something when my boss was like, "Uh, maybe we should open hours. I was like, Ooh, what do you mean? Well, I would say a couple of things about that. First of all, it doesn't have to always be every Saturday. It could be one or two Saturdays a month you could open. And I also think that there are some folks out there that might want to work Wednesday through Saturday or whatever it might be. Um, You know, you have to get creative with it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that one of the things that Fortune is, we are stand for is that we are about the preservation of private practice. We are very passionate about our doctors owning their own private practice and maybe not having to sell out to a DSO. There's nothing wrong with DSOs. There's absolutely a place for them. However, we're about the private practice. The only thing is we need to take a look at what do DSOs do really well. And there are a couple of things that they do well. Back to your profitability conversation, they create massive profitability. And that's a whole other conversation as to how they do that. But they also embrace technology. They embrace having multiple specialists under one roof. 
They also embrace utilizing their facility. And that does might include Fridays and maybe some Saturdays. So again, thinking like a business person, thinking like a CEO will, you know, help you to maybe make some of those decisions. I think it's so essential for doctors to teach their managers, their practice partners is what I like to have them think of them as the the profitability piece, because until you realize that, I mean, let's face it, many managers haven't had business training um, and, and maybe they're in the middle of business training. And when you teach them something like profitability, it's different than collections. And it is kind of a mind blowing thing when I have that conversation for the first time. I'm sure you've had that with doctors too, like, okay, it's nice to see your collections percentage, but what does that actually mean? Um, right. That's like, they're, they're not equal. <laughs> well, this is very true, Teresa. And I think that uh, one of the ways that we want to teach our doctors how to actually, how do they even figure out how profitable they are? So back in my dad's day, many people know my dad was a practicing dentist for about 25 years in the Bay area. And that in the, in, in the you know, eighties and nineties, they would just take, whatever was left over. And that's what their quote profit was. <laughs> what we're teaching our doctors is even if they don't have an associate, we want them to think like as if they're paying themselves as an associate. So 30% or whatever the percentage is of their net production above the line on their profit and loss statement. And then what is left over below the line? And that's really that EBITDA conversation. Mm-hmm. That's where we're having them see what their actual profits are because getting back to the DSOs, they're paying their doctors 30% of their net production and they're still putting 10 to 20% to that bottom line. Mm-hmm. So that's why that venture capital money is, is so you know prominent in that industry, in that sec- sector of our industry. So why can't our private doctors be thinking that way? So that's Absolutely. what we teach our doctors to do. So I would I even say, well, how do you even calculate your profitability? I love that. And for those of you who are newer to the industry, EBITDA is this long like acronym that just is fun to say, honestly. So yeah. it's um I, I want to make sure I get this right. Earnings before income, tax depreciation, and amortization. Amortization. That's yeah. the one I always You got it. I know. All right. It's a it's a fun acronym. That's exactly right. And now that is before also they're paying, like you said, um, their interest and and on their, on their practice loans and things like that, but we've got to help. So really getting with a great CPA, help them understand what their EBITDA is. It's very important. However, just thinking about, well, if I were to pay myself like an associate, so I look at last month's, my net production, my net production, just the doctor's net production. And if they paid themselves 30% of that, would there be any money left over? And that's your profit. Okay. Now you said production. So you're not looking at collections in that scenario. You're looking at production. Well, net production, which hopefully is in your world to collect. So yes, you could look at collections as well. We've got to make sure though, that they are coding the collections correctly. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge problem, honestly. And and the reason I bring up the production and collection is because I know some people are going to say, wait, I've been told collections all this time, but there, there are different ways of looking at it. But the whole thing about coding production, that's been a big issue with doctors. They don't realize that the team members aren't necessarily allocating payments to the accurate providers. And then, and then a whole week is wasted going back and reallocating. I mean, it's just a mess. So please make sure that that's something, um, if you're doing that in your office, you need to spot check that on a regular basis because you don't want to go back three months 
when an associate finally catches up and says, hey, wait a second, I'm not getting paid for my evaluations, you know, so. Right. That's exactly right. So if they are, if you're paying your associate on collections, you need to be very, very specific on what provider code is connected to that collections. And then, you know, when you print out your Dentrix or Eaglesoft or whatever software you're on, if you do a collections report, each provider should be properly allocated there. And I do like it when the practices do that, but you're right. They don't always do that. They don't always do it. And honestly, it would be so much easier to do it on production. Like that would be, I was, I'm old. I've been in this a long time. It was nice when we used to just pay on production and then PPOs came and it was like, Ooh, wait, we can't do that. So yeah, that's a, but but like you said, that's a whole different conversation. (laughs) So when you have expanded hygiene, nope. Accelerated hygiene, nope. Assisted, assisted hygiene. hygiene. Oh, want to make sure I get it right. Um, I want to make sure everybody knows that's really what we should be calling it. So assisted hygiene, you've got maybe an office that's trying to stay private, but yet they want to expand. What this means is new roles in the practice, new leadership roles. And one thing that I hear often is how do I discuss setting a team lead? Is there a department lead? Is there a team lead? How do you navigate that? How, how should a manager navigate those waters? Yes. So as we were, we were kind of chit chatting before we, we pushed record, what we are seeing in our bigger practices or practices that are really expanding and scaling is that, um, well, let's go back to team meetings. We all yeah. know that there are team meetings that are highly productive, and then there are team meetings that are maybe not as exciting and maybe not as productive. I would like our team meetings to be really team building and really, um, and, and maybe training. There's different ways you can set up a, a, an effective team meeting. What I am seeing, though, if we're going back to the leaders leading leaders, is what if we were to create team leads an assistant team lead, a hygienist team lead, and an admin team lead, which could be the office manager, or it could be a separate person. And they can have maybe a 30 minute a week team lead meeting. And where that is, some decisions maybe get made there, or maybe some information is disseminated there that those team leads then can, can communicate to their department. And I'm just seeing that to be a more efficient way of sometimes of doing things. And again, it also creates more of a leadership role. This doesn't necessarily mean they get paid more. They, you know, I believe my belief system is that people want to grow and learn and expand and be better. And it gives them an opportunity to, to do just that. So So. it really gives the, like, say you have a, a team lead, an assistant lead. So it really gives them the opportunity to almost like take care of their team. So basically in this leadership meeting, I'm imagining that the assistant is saying, okay, what does that mean for my team? How would, how should I translate this to my team? And then there's a discussion there, which really gives a a nice sense of ownership to that person where, you know, Hey guys, let's work together on this. And I've got something to tell you. It does elevate that person. I mean, it's just, they're going to feel good about, about that. It is hard though. How do you pick who's who seniority uh, quality? I mean, what do you, how do you do well, that? Well, I think maybe that somebody who's passionate about learning and passionate about leading their own team, and maybe they're passionate about maybe being the person that helps to train, you know, because then there's a whole training and development, you know, who is the person that's going to train the new high, new assistant that comes in? Um, I also think that at those lead meetings, it could be where they're reporting on what their supply costs were this month or what their lab relationships are like, you know, as far as the assistant goes, what are all, you know, the ortho cases or whatever they might be doing, are there implant um, cases that are going to be coming up? Do we have all the right implant parts? 
really elevating them into reporting to the office manager and or the doctor or doctors, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever the case may be. And so that everybody has certainty that they know things are being taken care of. One thing we know is that people, what causes people a lot of stress, or one of the things that causes people a lot of stress is I don't have certainty that I know that something was ordered or that, you know, that the the correct um, supplies are being ordered or whatever it might be, or that somebody's handling when an equipment is break breaks down or whatever it might be. So that lead person would be the one that maybe they don't do all of it, but they're the one that is reporting to the office manager or the doctor as to what happened in that area. I think it's so important to do this because a lot of managers burn out because they feel like they have to take care of everything. So, you know, if, if they're missing an implant part, you know, they're the ones who feel like they have to get on the phone and, and track it down and find one from a rep or whatever. But it really we could delegate that yes. pretty easily and let that be someone else's burden. And then, yes, the buck stops with me because I am the manager. So obviously I needed to manage this whole piece. But I don't need to manage it from point A to point Z, you know, I'll take it maybe from point M to Z, I guess, but my clinical assistant could do the legwork for me and then I could follow up from there. So um, I just feel like managers, if anything goes wrong, managers just feel like they need to, they're putting on their fire hat and they're racing into the fire to fix everything because that's what we do. But what a, what a colossal waste of resources. Yes, I believe everybody's got brilliance within them. So if you know somebody comes to you with a question and you could turn to them and say, well, I have my ideas on what the answer might be, but what do you think? And, and not in a condescending way, like truly, I want to know what you think and how we could solve this problem. That elevates people's thinking. Mm-hmm. They're getting more, you know, using their creative, their creative abilities that their brain, you know, that God gave us these brains, right? And using yeah. their Critical thinking skills is really the word I'm looking for. Um, so I, I, I believe that that is, that is a very powerful way to, to elevate people. I also think, you know, Teresa, I can't remember who wrote the article, but years ago, there was this great article, I think in dental economics or one of the online, you know, emails that we all get. <laughs> and the, uh, it, was a cons- it was a fellow consultant and they said, don't be like Siri. So, you know, Siri, we talk into our iPhones yeah. and Siri gives us an answer or whatever it is on the Android. I don't know who it is there on the Android. And so sometimes office managers, all we do is we give answers, we give answers, we give answers. So we teach people how to treat us, right? So right. if I'm a team member and I'm always coming to you and you just give me the answer, then I don't have to use my critical thinking skills. So stop being Siri. And um, so whoever wrote that, you were brilliant and creative. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, but, but be be collaborating with people so that it, the burden isn't always on you. I agree. People are getting burnt out and that's no way to live, right? Mm-hmm. No. And I know some, you know, some people really enjoy being the source of, you know, knowledge and the practice. I get that. You know, the girl that um, I depended on for years and she took my place when I left. Her name is Jean. She's still there. We used to call her Wikigenia because she like, it, <laughs> I if I didn't it. know it, go ask Wikigenia, you know, she would know. And, and we kind of relied on her like that. But when she became manager, she realized she can't be all things to all people. And it was a totally different, you know, she had to do things differently and she does, and she, she's really good at it. But yeah, there's a, there's a line in the sand you have to draw as a manager where you're not being, uh, you have to be utilized correctly. And I think that's, that's absolutely right. If you train people to come to you when, when fires are burning, they're always going to come to you with fire. They're always going to be a fire. The other thing I think that people get hesitant about, Teresa, is 
holding people accountable. So if I have to, if I delegate something to you, then I need to hold you accountable. And I think people have a image in their mind that you're being the bad guy when you're holding somebody accountable. I believe it's the actual opposite. So if I was holding you accountable, you said you were going to do XYZ project by next Friday. You were the one that said that. So I'm holding you up to the standard that you created. Yes. It's actually a gift is because I care about you enough to hold you to that standard. Whereas yeah. it's not making you bad and wrong if you didn't get it done. It's like, okay, well then let's mastermind on when a new, new by when date would work for you. So shifting our belief system around what holding people accountable is could also help people. It could also help these office managers. So, and I know um, we're getting close to the end, but I, so let's end on accountability. Um, accountability is, it seems to be a pie in the sky term for a lot of office managers only because the buck stops with them, but the buck really stops with the owners, right? And so if you don't get support from the owners, and I know that's what your your consulting firm is really good at doing that, the leaders leading leaders, but there are many offices out there where they're, they don't have the support. So they try to implement something and there is no um, backup. So how how do we hold people accountable when really it's not they're not really being held accountable. So how do you as a manager get around that? Have you run into this? I'm sure you have. Oh yeah, we run into this <laughs> a lot. We run into this a lot. So I think it's about when you are having a team meeting or discussing in a department meeting or wherever it might be, what the project is or what the you know outcome is, really, I think it's important, first of all, that we're defining what the outcome actually is. Like, what is it that we want to accomplish in this situation? Um, because, you know, um, let's say, Let's use an example. Let's say it's getting our supply cost down to five, you know, five or six percent of what our collections is. So, mm -hmm. so that is the end result and the outcome. And then asking the person, so by when can you get that done, or by when can we have this accomplished? So they're the ones saying when they want to get it done. I think that rather than telling people when they need to have it done. That's the first thing. So I, if I said I was going to do it, well, then it's on me. And then what support, and then asking some great questions, being a great coach to them. What support do you need, Jane, in order to get, get this accomplished and supporting them along the way rather than leaving them out to, to do it by themselves. I think that might be where people miss the mark. Um, I also think being in constant communication, having them making sure that we've done the best job possible to giving them all the resources that they have in order to get the job done. I think sometimes people don't either have the training, they don't have the knowledge, they don't have, I don't know what it might be, but they don't have the resources to get something done. And I think that's where we might be missing the mark. Oh my gosh. Isn't time the biggest resource, right? Like I just love to have yep. time, but you know, that, that brings them a good point. If you have um, a, a date of like a month out that they have a project due, you know, it's not going to be a bad thing for you to at the two week mark, just kind of nudge them and say, Hey, is there anything you need from me? And just kind of keep them on track. Right. Um, and not just wait until the month. Cause <laughs> there are some employees where I probably would have waited till the month is up and been like, mm -hmm, I knew she wasn't going to do it, and, but right. you can't do that though. <laughs> well, we want, yeah. We want to always be supporting people along the right. way. The other thing that we've implemented and anybody can do this, you just go to office Depot and get a dry erase board, putting a, a what we call a buy when board mm -hmm. in our back office. So it's, so the idea is one column, it's the project. So the actual outcome and then the source person in, in fortune speak, we call that where I'm sourcing this particular project. Okay. And then there might be a support person. And then there's a by when date. 
And so everybody can see when they're eating lunch, all of our projects that we have going on. Mm, and then that's a great way, even in a huddle once a week, maybe on Wednesdays, you can go over the buy one board and say, does anybody need any support in getting all of these projects done? So I, I think we're so into a high level of communication, the more connection and communication we get because people get into business as usual and they might forget the project that they committed to doing. Right, right. And we have a lot of team members who are new to each other. You know, we have a lot of turnover in the industry and yep. they maybe haven't gelled yet or haven't found their rhythm. And so as a manager, that's part of your job, right? You're tasked to make that happen in your office, establish that culture that is, you know, really so important and uh, becomes more important to me as I age, just because I've seen so many offices go south because of lack of culture. culture. Yes. Culture is everything. And one of the, one of the, there's many ways to create a great culture and it's really so much of what we're passionate about. One of the things though, that if your office managers and or doctors are listening is creating safety, creating a safe space for somebody to come and say, you know, I know I committed to doing this by Friday. I'm really having some trouble here and being safe to say I need some help or, you know, I think that's just huge. Yeah, no, I, I and I think it's really good to make sure that it's something that that's focused on not just one meeting a year or anything like that. You actually don't you have a like a workshop on this? I think I've seen advertisements yeah. for this. We have um so we have a series of 10 training camps. They're one day live seminars that we're doing in all the cities that we are in across the country and one of them is called Camp Culture. Okay, and that's what it about, is. Okay. Yeah, we 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 do a whole um core values exercise where we're creating our core values and our vision and our mission and agreements and all that and really learning how to be a better leader. And it's not just the doctors and office managers. Everybody is a leader because leadership is not about your title. Leadership is how you show up and play full out every day and how you be an amazing team member. Oh, so. I love that. Leadership is not about your title. I love that. <laughs> now, and the other the other thing I'll just say, um, just a little bit of advice to my listeners. I know there's a lot of new dentists that listen. And I would say, that this is something a lot of mature offices go, okay, we need to set this culture. It really, honestly, if you're a new dentist, do this now so that you can spot when your culture is not going the way it should be, or if you need to do a recalibration. I think the earlier in your career you do this, the better. I couldn't agree more. And, 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 And when you're thinking about culture, it's what is the experience I want my patients to have when they enter my practice? And what do, I, what do I want the experience of my team to be? Like, if you can answer some of those questions and define that and then communicate that to your team, they will understand what kind of culture you're, you're working to create. Absolutely. Yeah. And doctors and managers, that's that's your jam. You're supposed to be the ones yeah. making sure that that happens in the office. So um, be a part of setting the culture and being a part of that conversation. I think that's fantastic. So how do people find you? And I know that Fortune has offices, um, practice, uh, you know, um, consultant groups across the country, but how do people find you? And then how do people find Fortune? Sure. Absolutely. Well, the, the easiest way would be go to our website, fortunemgmt.com. And I am listed on there. My name is Kim McGuire. You can reach me at Kim McGuire at fortunemgmt.com. Um, and all of our coaches across the country are always open to, to meeting with anyone, anyone out there. And, and we're, we just come from total abundance and we love to meet with people and truly help doctors become better leaders and better business owners. Um, we expect them to be great clinicians, um, but that, that other side of running the business that really helps us be either successful or not. Yeah, no. And you know, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this 
to you. I think I mentioned it to John Harris, who was another coach, is that a lot of the um, managers who want to become consultants, a lot of them are from fortune offices. And I think it's because they, the systems that they are exposed to, you know, are just something that they want to be a part of and, and not just fortune tube. I mean, other consulting companies, but definitely I hear a lot of, um, well, what consultant did you work with? And it'll always be, you know, usually fortune or another big name company because they like the systems that are in place. So you're doing something right. (laughs) We do have many of our coaches across the country were uh, were team members in our practices. And now actually we've got some doctors that have decided to put the handpiece down and become uh, fortune coaches with us. So not, that could there couldn't be a bigger compliment that we could have than to have them now be part of our, our fortune family. I just want to give a shout out to Gerilyn Alfie in Chicago. Yeah. She's, a, she's a coach and former doctor. Well, she's always going to be a doctor, but uh, previously she had a practice and she's, she's now fortune. Co- she's loving it. She's, she's amazing. It. She's, yeah. she's, I love her. She's just the energy she brings is always, you know, um, listeners, whenever you have somebody in your life, that's just so happy and positive all the time, you want to keep those people in your life. Right. So Absolutely. especially somebody like me who likes to just kind of withdraw and work, I need someone to fluff me up every now and then, you know, <laughs> right. positive energy. That's right. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This has been so valuable and definitely we're going to do this again. Um, sure. I just thank you again so much. And I will have all of your information in the show notes so people can reach you and, exactly. uh, it's everybody. It's really my pleasure, Teresa. Thank you for who you are for our industry and who you are just for, for your listeners, um, you're just a wealth of information. So it's always my pleasure to chat with you. Awesome. Awesome. All right, listeners, you know, I so appreciate any time you spend with me. Terrific. Thank you so much. We're all super busy. So thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in this episode. You can also find links for my book and for my live events and webinar schedule. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn.